Smack. You started. Actually, I started it. You're right. Yeah, right. you that did. Was... <laughs> so, okay. So disrespectful. All right. Do you have your juicy juice or your what? Cran apple, whatever the kids are drinking these days. I'm grown. I have my green tea. All right. I got um. I got this little tiny peach, and I have uh my water, so I'm good. Is that one of the peaches you got from the farmer's market? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- this one's a little smaller, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you, um, people can't see it, but it's about like it looks more. It's about the size more of a plum than a peach. Yeah. You're but right. it, it's really good. It's getting a little, it's a little more tart than I'm used to with that. Just see how fresh it is. Mm. Anyway, hi folks. This is Yankees Mint Express where we talk about random stuff um, that have nothing to do with sports before we actually address the crowd. Uh, Lean, what's up? How's it going? Good. It's going well. I'm really excited about tomorrow. Opening day. I don't opening know about day. you. Yeah. 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 If, I, uh, if we had a sound effects guy, we'd have lots of fanfare going. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, Yankees at Nationals Park, 7.08 p.m. Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. I'm excited. Woohoo, yeah. And, and, and uh, we got some other reason to be excited, folks, because as most of you have read on ESNY, uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing Yes Network analyst Jack Curry last week, uh, talking, yeah, talking about his, um, his and David Cohn's uh, book, Full Count, The Education of a Pitcher. It's now available in paperback from Grand Central Publishing. Uh, phenomenal read. I must say. Really, really good read. Sounds great. I'm excited to read it as well. Um, That's amazing, Josh. I'm I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, And and you'll hear later, folks. Uh, Jack was a great interview. I really want to extend another thank you to him for him taking 30 minutes of his time and very busy schedule to chat with me while he was on his way to the Yes Network Studios in Connecticut. Um, just a phenomenal baseball conversation. Can't wait for you guys to hear the extended version because there's some tidbits that didn't make it onto the, um, into the interview, but on the whole, a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy listening to it as I, as much as I enjoy talking to him. And we're all looking forward to hearing it, Josh. Great job. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I look forward to another trip to the Bronx zoo where I get to put more stuffed snakes in your face. Uh, so, <laughs> All right. Okay, that sounds that sounds very bad. So let, let me put that in context real fast. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what, what's uh, today? What's today? Wednesday? Yeah, today's Wednesday. So on Monday, Lean accompanied myself and my wife Caitlin uh, to the Bronx Zoo because uh, we have a we have a uh, membership uh, to the zoo that allowed us to have a plus one. Uh, Lean joined us, and while we were in the very nicely air conditioned gift shop, might I add. Uh, yeah, going to the zoo when it's 100 degrees out, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. No, the gift shop, like that, oh my gosh, I, I don't think I've ever been that happy, like walking in and feeling the AC. It was like walking into the meat locker at Fairway. Okay. Yeah, well, well no, because well, no, uh, the, the Fairway supermarket down by me, which is close to the West Side Highway, their butcher and seafood counter is in a refrigerated room. Like you, like Really? You walk, yeah, you walk in, it is significantly cooler than the rest of the store. Well, okay. Because, and this is also the spot where they have the craft beer, the yogurt, and like various dairy and beverages and stuff gotcha. like that. 
so so it makes it makes sense for the room to be cooler but oddly enough the cheese is next door and it's like room temperature mm. oh well that's probably uh, really annoying in the winter though um yeah but you already have your coat on in the winter so you're fine yeah that's true yeah um yeah, uh, but anyway, so the gift shop was very cold. Uh, Caitlin was looking for a little stuffed animal to give to uh, give to the baby when it comes in November. And while we were there, since Lee is afraid of snakes, I saw like a six foot long stuffed snake. I was like, yeah, it's coming at you. <sighs> he's so annoying. We tried to get him back with, um, he's scared of parrots. Oh yeah, so... that, that, that's another story for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, we tried to get him back with those, but. I don't know how successful we were. I feel like you won't admit it. Uh, I was fine. You were the ones being extra about it. <laughs> okay, mo mo moving uh, on. I, I tire of this topic. We've got a lot of stuff to cover today, folks. Opening day is tomorrow. We've got some award predictions. We've got to discuss our fantasy league where I will win the championship oh and the division uh, against the Bronx Zoo. The Pine Barrens bodies will reign supreme. We'll go over that in a little bit. In the meantime, let's let's uh, talk to the Mets. They open tomorrow against the Braves, and they no, they don't. They open on Friday, actually. Right, right. Yeah, I was right. Friday. I forget. I I knew that in quarantine, it is easy to forget what day it is. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah um. <laughs> Caitlin actually used some of my vegetables in the from the farmers market that I was meaning to use for my dinner tonight, and I got a little annoyed. But then I remembered. Oh farmer's markets tomorrow so it's not a problem so just to give you an idea of, of where i'm at in terms right. of forgetting what day it is anyway so the mets and lean i'm not gonna lie i'm a little disappointed by this move just because i'm such a huge fan of them the mets have released melky cabrera along mm -hmm. with infielder gordon beckham and they've signed juan lagaris and infielder brian dozier because jed lowry is injured again yeah um yeah, Melky Cabrera, I'm obviously upset about that as well. But, like, neither Cabrera nor Beckham are going to make the opening day roster. So, I guess maybe it makes sense. And Juan Lagares, like, they're paying him anyway, so he may as well be of use to them. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Brian, Do yeah, Judd Lowry. So, I'm sure, like, everybody knows, but Judd Lowry is officially on the IL. So, they probably want Brian Dozier it's a, to be It's a knee this time, right? Yeah, left knee discomfort. Oh, um, and anyway, I'm pretty sure he's still in a brace. So I guess that, you know, was expected. I'm, I'm telling you, with, with so many injuries in baseball, be it Lowry and I guess we could throw Stanton in there yet, uh, last year, this is yeah. a prime example why you never skip leg day. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. I, look, guys, I hate leg day as much as the next guy. It's annoying and, and really hard to deal with the next day. You got to do it. Yeah. Well, you, you want to walk around looking like a chicken? Exactly. Or a, or a turkey? Exactly. At, at this point, Lowry's going to be on the chicken sandwich at Shake Shack at City Field instead of on the field. Bro, I, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play a single game this season. It, yeah, okay, it, I have a question for you. I just actually talked to my dad about this. Sure, yeah. Dad Lowry does not play a single game this season. Would this? So this is his last year of his contract. Yeah, it's a year um, would he end up being – would this end up being one of the worst signings in Mets history? That's a really good question. I think that – because you have, you have to put every signing in context yeah. for whether the it's a good idea. The money with Lowry is not, like, a lot, but he would have ended up playing only just, like, I think less than five games in total. 
So yeah, because people, you know, I'm going to use the Knicks as an as an example here because people like to bang on the Knicks for um, the Amari Sadamire max contract, which yeah. hindsight's 2020. It was a bad idea, right? Because because it was un- Knicks, yeah. It was okay. Hold on. It was it was un- an uninsured contract. He had some injury problems mm-hmm. already, especially with his eye and his knee. Yeah. Um, but looking at when the Knicks made the signing, they just lost out on LeBron. They had a bunch of cap space to kill. They are a, a bunch of cap space for days. They they needed to make a marquee signing. And Stoudemire, given his relationship with then coach Mike D'Antoni, the signing made sense. Yeah. This is what people don't understand. In the long run, it was a bad idea. At the time, it made sense for the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Now with Lowry. They needed an infielder. So at the time, signing Lowry made sense. But if he doesn't play this year, you look at last year when he played in nine games, went 0 for 7 with a walk. Well, actually, Josh, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. That's yeah. actually not true because when they did sign Judd Lowry, and I even, like, wrote about it, actually, like, that was a weird signing. They didn't need him. Their infield was already a little crowded. So it was already strange from the get-go. But no one really freaked out because the money was pretty reasonable. And he was coming off of an all-star season and, like, one of the best seasons of his career. So I don't know. Well, well not just that, but you also, at that point, you didn't really know what you were going to get out of Jeff McNeil. Because 2018, Jeff McNeil, he hits 329. Three home runs, 19 RBIs, over 225 plate appearances. That's not terrible, especially since he could spray the ball around lots of places. He's yeah. a lefty bat. That's not terrible, but at, the, but at this point, he's also he was also uh, 26. He was an older rookie. You didn't really know just how much of an impact player he was going to be. So then last year, 133 games, he bats 318, sets career highs in all categories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that once you put the signing of Lowry in context, once you realize, okay, you need him more as a, as a safety valve in case the young talent wasn't quite ready yet, plus versatility, and he could play all around the infield, the signing makes sense. But given how injured he Hadn't, was... Had they already um, traded for Robinson Cano at that point, though? That's a good question here. Let me look I'm that up. I'm really looking at the dates. So Lowry signed the deal... On July, ja, excuse me, January tenth, twenty nineteen. That's when he signed the contract with the Mets. Yeah, and Cano and the Cano trade was finalized on December third of twenty eighteen. Yes, yeah, see, so like that's so, even more. So like they had a lot going on in the infield. Yeah, but also in once he puts that in further context, you Robinson Cano was an older guy, and Lowry's not exactly a spring chicken himself. But Cano was also coming off of the suspension, remember? Yeah. So, so you didn't really know what to expect from him. You didn't know, can he still play second base? Or are you going to have to move him to outfield, move him to first? And what, I, I, you're, what you're saying is right. I just think the concern, what the concern was, and the same thought crossed my mind, that the Mets had so many other needs to address, especially in the outfield. And they just went out and added a, yet another second baseman. Even though the points you're saying are valid, they could have just, you know, spent that money elsewhere. I mean, like, I'm not going to – I mean – we know that under the Wilpon era and by extension under Brody Van Wagen, who's still kind of getting the feel for running a front office after many years as an agent. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. I mean, questionable personnel decisions under the Wilpons have become par for the course. Mm-hmm. 
I now I don't want to go out and say that say that they're cheap, that they're bad owners, that they that they don't know what they're doing. Because the Mets, they've made the World Series in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And they have a great farm system and Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, and I'll throw Ahmed Rosario and Brandon Nimmo in there as well. The Mets on paper have a decent team. They've just run into a bunch of bad luck, be it with mm-hmm. injuries, be it with production, be it with, with something else entirely. For sure, yeah. Yeah, so, oh God, uh, Jed Lowry, I don't want to say that it'll go down as the worst deal in Mets history, but it's definitely going to be top three. That's what I'm saying. No, I don't think it'll be the worst either, especially because the money isn't like absurd. But yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's why I want to ask you because I think it's going to be one of the worst. Yeah. It's not Jason Bay territory because the the Mets committed a bunch of money to him and he fell victim to City Field. He was a Hall of Fame player and had a great season with the Red Sox, then went to City Field and his power was gone because he could, because he's a pole guy and it was hard to hit the ball to left. Right, right. So I think that with Lowry, it's not as bad as Jason Bay, just because you can't, as easy as it is to hold injuries against a guy, you can't really get too mad at him because Mm -hmm. it's bad luck. But it's not like he's playing and like being awful. It's not like he's, yeah, it's not like he's also going out of his way to be injured. It's not like with Carl Pavano with the Yankees when he's not just getting injured, he's also kind of lazy. Right, right, right. So, so I think that with Lowry, it's bad luck. Yeah, it's very tempting to say it's the worst deal in Mets history, but it's bad luck. You you can't hold a guy's body breaking down on him against him. For sure, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. Going back to Lagaris and Dozier, both were signed on minor league deals, and neither are going to be on the opening day roster. But um, uh, I can see them eventually, like uh, you know having to make an appearance on the Mets if, like, more injuries happen. Dozier especially. Dozier especially. Especially with a universal DH. I mean, Dozier isn't that far removed from, like, a 35-40 home run campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, Two years, yeah. Yeah, because I think that the minor league deal for him, he's he's really – he really only got that deal just because he needs reps. He -hmm. needs to get in a routine of taking batting practice every day, seeing where he's at, how's he feeling. And then once he gets to working with the staff and, and is swinging a bat on a daily basis, then once the Mets either have an injury or, some, or someone isn't working out the plate the way they'd hoped, they can call up Dozier and have a veteran presence who knows Major League Pitching and can have some gap power as well. For sure, yeah. I'm with you there. Um, yeah. Also, Mets related, uh, Marcus, St- Marcus Stroman is dealing with uh, calf tightness. And he's right now he's day to day, but this is a little scary. Luis Rojas said that he doesn't know if Stroman will be ready for his first start. Um, I remember I just talked to my dad about it, and he was he started yeah, laughing. We gotta have your we gotta, scared. we gotta have your dad on the show at some point. We gotta have him guess and get his insight. He's just gonna roast the Mets. They're, they're his team, but he's just gonna roast the life out of them. He hates them so much. Loves them, but, you know, hates them. That's kind of how I feel about the Knicks, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You can relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like an abusive relationship. Right, exactly. And uh, speaking of your dad, I just th- I just took a look at the uh, the Premier League scores that are going on right now in the largely meaningless games before the close of the season. Liverpool's up 3-1 on Chelsea. Always something we like to see. Oh, Chelsea uh, scored? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're at the 54th minute. Chelsea uh, scored. Wow. And uh, Man U and West Ham, they drew at 1-1. Yeah, yeah, I watched that game. It was really boring, but... And then, and then tomorrow, hopefully, um, 
my blues or my, my toffees rather take, uh, take down Burnmouth accordingly. They will. Burnmouth stank. Yeah. yeah Everton should have no problem winning that one. That were the goal of the season. Uh, the other day, but that's that we'll get to that later. Yeah. That's uh, and, anyway, Marcus Stroman, this is never something you want to deal with a day a day or two out from opening day. Yeah, for like, sure. The timing is just terrible. You've got your rotation set, all the arms are rested, and all of a sudden, one of your younger, better arms is dealing with a calf. Yep, for sure. So, this is yeah. So hopefully it's nothing, but it, but the Yankees are dealing with something similar uh, down in DC right now. Uh, for their third game, they're taking advantage of the off day. Normally, it'd be Masahiro Tanaka who mm-hmm. makes the start, but I think that they would just want to be better safe than sorry with him because concussions are scary. They're going to roll with an opener. Yep. Uh, who, do you, who do you think they're going to go with? It's probably going to be Chad Green. I'd say. You think it'll, so? It'll probably be some incarnation of Chad Green. You'll probably get Mike King in there. Yeah. Just because Green, he did so well in the opener role last year. I don't see, I don't it was, see why. Yeah, he was amazing, for sure. Like, if we ever have to use an opener, I would have no problem with uh, Chad Green. Yeah, because yeah, with, with the opener, it's kind of like a reverse closure. You want someone who's going to get guys out quickly and not um, yeah. cause a lot of base runners. Because mm-hmm. Greeny, he's uh, – the, the fastball's there. It's got yeah. the life at 98. He's got the slider, so when that's working uh, along with the fastball, he's practically unhittable. Of course. And also early in the season, especially in a condensed 60-game format, this is the time to kind of play cutesy with openers. Mm-hmm. This is when you're going to have a couple mm-hmm. of off days early. You've got it, – it's opening day. you got the one game, then you got the day off for some reason or another. So this is the time that Aaron Boone can futz with openers. Yeah, and and it's against the defending champions, sure, but they've also lost a key piece of their lineup in uh, Anthony Rendon. Of course, yeah. So I think that um, I think that it's going to be Chad Green. Um, mm-hmm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think yeah. that I think that Mike King is also a, a candidate. I think that one way or another, Mike King is going to get some innings as well. I was going to say they they could both easily be featured in the game. Yeah, because because Green never really goes more than two. Yeah. And, and unless he gets a high pitch count in the first inning, I think that you'll immediately see it to Mike King. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah. We want to see how Mike King does like, in that kind of role. I don't like the idea of an opener as a long-term thing because I'm, I'm no. just going to call it like it is. The Rays started using the opener, um, and they're saying, oh, the analytics say this works. No, it's not an analytics thing. They don't want to pay a pitcher. <laughs> and the fact that the union hasn't filed a grievance already. I but, think but, but also, though – like the Rays, they're not even going to be using an opener anymore. And not only that, they also have one of the best rotations going into the season. They do. So, they, yeah. The Rays have a good rotation. It's just a matter yeah. of how, of how streaky or unstreaky their bats are going to be. Blake Snell is a, is a Cy Young winner. He's great. Tyler Glasnow, when his, uh, if he's healthy, he's great. Charlie mm-hmm. Morton, he's older, but it took him a while to discover his stuff. So he's got yeah. to be on that arm. And Yann and Chirinos and Ryan Yarbrough, they're underrated. Oh, ab- oh extremely underrated. Like yep. Ryan Yarbrough, when his two-seamer's working, he induces soft contact like no other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chirinos, he's a little more streaky, but he's got a high yeah. ceiling as well. But that front three, you got the veteran, you got the dominant veteran presence with Charlie Morton, mm-hmm. followed by Blake Snell, who's got a deadly curveball, and yeah. Tyler Glasnow, who can just do it all, even though he has hair that I envy. So... And, and, then oh, Nick, right. and then Nick Anderson, who's a closer, but he could also start in an emergency. 
Yeah, he's he's versatile, Nick Anderson, and also very good. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and they have an and they have a very underrated lineup, especially this year with Hunter Renfro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and they and don't and don't forget they picked up that guy from the Japanese leagues, Yoshitomo Tsutsuga. Yeah, I'm really he's intriguing. I'm excited am, to see how he does. I am very excited to watch Tsutsuga because even though Japanese baseball is different, that it's more of a slap and directional hitting league as yeah. opposed to power. Of course. Uh, he was with the Yokohama Bayhawks. And in Japan, 10-year career, he is 28 right now. Uh, 281 career hitter, 255 career home runs. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and say that uh, this is that this is Hideki Matsui all over again, but the, right. guy, the guy can hit. He's going to strike out like any power hitter, but I think that mm-hmm. with the Rays, especially paired – with someone like Austin Meadows, and he, and he could oh, also, yeah. he could also play both corner infield spots. I think that having his lefty bat in the lineup is going to be great for Tampa. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think he's going to help them a lot. Hopefully, like for the Rays, he doesn't take long to adjust. So you know yeah. the the MLB and stuff. But yeah, how how did we get to the Rays again? Oh yeah, openers. So but anyway. Oh right, yeah. But anyway, the Mets with Stroman. If he can't pitch, I wouldn't be shocked if they went an opener out. Maybe. I don't think so because they have so many like pitchers who can start. I think they're just going to go – if he can't start, I think it's going to go to Mats, and then they're going to do probably Porcello and then Waka. So I guess it's good for those guys because they're all going to get a chance to pitch. Maybe even David Peterson can make see, a start. See, Mats, under, under previous circumstances, I would say Mats, but the, the Mets right now, they're trying to – move forward into the 21st century they're finally starting to invest in analytics whoever the new owners are be it harris and blitzer be it um mike rapoli and j-rod be it someone else entirely they're going to put a lot of money into upping the analytics division mm-hmm. and so i think that right now they're as much as much talent as steven Matz may still have starting him especially with his health and how streaky he's been i wouldn't be shocked especially if it's just a short-term thing with Strowman. Uh, that they go with an opener, like a Selman. But the thing is, though, Mats is already, like, the number three guy in the rotation, so I can just see them, like, moving him up, you know, just having – kind of just skipping over Strowman, you know, and having just Mats take the number two spot. I, I don't know. That's that, that, that's what I would expect, but they could go with an opener, especially because they have, like, Seth Lugo. Yeah, and and Matt's, to start. and Matt's for what it's worth wasn't terrible last year because he no, had, really wasn't. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He a lot of it can be traced to bad luck because he allowed a bad up three hundred one. His his hard contact went up, which is never a good sign. Uh, his velo- he started throwing his fastball less and his slider more, so maybe he's still trying to get a good feel for that slider. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but he's also started he also started using a changeup more. Yeah. So he's still kind of learning how to pitch all over again. Of course. Yeah. I mean, Matt's like, if you watch him, he has a lot of potential and he can be a really, really good pitcher. He's, he's also just, living the dream. Like he and Stroman, two Long Island guys. Yeah. Yeah. For the Mets. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, on the Yan- and on the Yankee side, uh, let's talk about their prospects a little bit. Jason Dominguez, the Martian. Did you see that picture of him? I did not, but I, I have I send that too. I've seen pictures of him. He's like 16, 17 years old. He's already built like a tank. He's even bigger, Josh, now. Like it's absurd. I was an, I'm gonna show you a picture of me when I was 17, Lean. I I was I was skinny. I was yeah. like I, I was a stick. 
Yeah. And, like... and like, he's already looking like an NFL running back in a way. Mm-hmm. It's uh, absurd. I don't know what position he's going to play going forward, be it, um, be it his um, – He's a center fielder, but – But he came up as a catcher, though, remember? Yeah. And, but... so, and so that he might also have some reps at first base just by extension. Yeah, I'm hoping he's versatile and can play a variety of positions. I don't, I don't know how the Yankees are going to want to use him. Yeah, but it, it's still a long ways off. He's still so oh, he's, young. He, he literally, I think he just turned 17 recently. Yeah, so, we're, not, yeah. we're not seeing him in the majors for at least another two, three years. Yeah, he also, like, can't forget, he hasn't played a single minute in the Yankees organization, like, at yeah. any level. So, yeah, it's going to be a hot minute. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but on the whole, and the Yankees today, though, I saw uh, Brendan Cuddy of uh, NJ.com and Lindsey Adler from the Athletic. They tweeted this out. Down in DC, it is currently set to rain buckets. Oh my guys, gosh, I saw that. You guys are still in the field playing catch. Yeah. I mean, say what you want about the Yankees, but when it comes to devotion to the craft of just playing baseball, I don't think that there's anything yeah. that, that. But uh, apparently, though, they're. There is concern that the game is going to get rained out tomorrow. Uh, you know what? I think I actually have DC on my on my weather app here. Let me let me pull that up in the meantime. Yeah. It's... All right. So Imagine Washington DC. All right. Weather in Washington currently: thunderstorms and seventy three. I'm looking at the hourly forecast. Yeah, it's looking like I'm. Oh, I'm making lightning clap on my phone just now. But yeah, it looks like it's definitely going to rain uh, tomorrow into Friday, so that would probably mean a double header of some sort in the future. Um, it's not something I want to have to worry about right now. Yeah. But but in the meantime, like they'll find a way to play the game some way somehow, be it in DC or New York. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's all it. Uh, but you know who's having a real problem finding those games to play, especially a place to play them? Oh. Oh, those poor Toronto Blue Jays. Lean, give us the background. So, Blue Jays, not allowed to play in Toronto. No. The Canadian government said nope. Uh, So, they were looking for a home stadium. They requested to have their home games at PNC Park, which is where the Pittsburgh Pirates play. The Pirates gave them the green light, said it was cool, but the Pennsylvania Department of Health denied that request so opening day is tomorrow and the blue jays are homeless well well their their opening day is friday as well no i'm just saying like opening day of the season you know it's crazy like it's tomorrow and a team does not have a home stadium yeah um i fully respect the pennsylvania department of health's um decision here yeah can't fault them for it yeah, because I actually looked at just where the Pirates are going to be going this year within the uh, the Central Division bubble across both leagues. Mm-hmm. The farthest south they have to travel, I think, is Kansas City. Yeah. Whereas the Blue Jays, they have to go to Florida and Georgia. Two places in Florida at that. Yeah, two places in Florida. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of them being Miami, which is the main hotspot right now. Right. Uh, Dade County. So I understand the Pennsylvania Department of Health coming forward and saying – we can't take that risk. For sure. Especially if you're sharing a ballpark. Like I, Now, that said, if Florida were out of the equation, I don't think this would be an issue. Georgia would be like, eh, it's dicey, but bubble accordingly. But the fact that you're going to be going to Florida several and le- times. And like you said, two different places in Florida. So Yeah. yeah. So now, 
in terms of solutions, I guess right now they might have to buff, uh, bite the bullet, use their minor league complex in Buffalo. They should. Uh, yeah, the main issue with Buffalo is that the facility isn't quite uh, doesn't quite have everything that's necessary for a mm. main roster. I'm guessing they're talking in terms of training rooms and medical rooms and the like. Yeah. Um, so that said, Buffalo's close enough to Toronto that maybe they can plead with the Canadian government, we'll play the games in Buffalo, just let them drive back to Toronto for medical reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or just commute back and forth. I can definitely uh, see them, yeah. See yeah, or, yeah, or another thing I saw bandied about, which it's unfair to put this on the Blue Jays, but just having them travel to whatever, say that the, that the Yankees were going go to go to the Rogers Center for a three-game stretch, fly to Yankee Stadium and have the Blue Jays service the home team. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of extra travel you're asking of one team, but that's the risk you assume when you have a team in Canada where the laws are going to be different from those in the United States. For sure. Where, yeah. it's, where it's one strong national government as opposed to the U.S., which has a strong federal government, but also delegates a lot of responsibility to the individual states, mm-hmm. especially, yeah. under, especially under coronavirus. But that's a whole, con- a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, yeah, so... I think that with either of those plans, you can't really go wrong with either. I think that, I think that the most con- for uh, convenience's sake, uh, the Blue Jays should just bite the bullet and go to Buffalo. There are worse mm-hmm. things that could happen. It's not, it's I just, agree. Like, you're playing in Buffalo in the summer and some of the fall, not in the dead of winter. Like the right. Like, it's really not going to be like that awful. Yeah. And you have so many games away as well. So Yeah, so... And so, yeah, like, you're going to have to – the East is going to have to assume the risk with Florida and Georgia, just how the West teams are going to have to assume the same risk with California. Yeah, and, for sure. And, and Texas. It's just mm-hmm. a fact. I go back to what Adam Silver has said. No option right now is without risk. Mm-hmm. Of course. Every team has to make the best of a bad situation. Every league has to make the best of a bad situation. Yep. So, regarding the Blue Jays – they got to make a decision and make it fast. No one's going to like it. There's no, no matter what they decide to do, someone's going to have something to say about it. Mm-hmm. But the best thing that we as analysts, journalists, fans, anybody can do, let the process play out and just hope that everything turns out for the better and that nobody gets hurt. Yep. Agreed. Guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, all right. We are really marathoning down. down I know. I was literally just thinking that. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to do a war predictions next, or do you want to have me roast you with the fantasy league talk? You pick. I, I'm going to roast you with the fantasy league because I am very happy. You know what? While I'm pulling up my team lean, tell them about the other guy in the league who we oh. were who we were goofing on the other day. This is great. Okay, so uh, Josh and I are participating in an eight-man uh, ESPN fan baseball fantasy league. Um, there's a guy in our league. He's a Mets fan, huge Mets fan. Dude is clueless. We were drafting. He had the second pick, right? I had the third pick, and Josh had the last pick. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, he, this guy, he was doing, like, all New York team 2020. So the first pick of the draft was Christian Yelich, right? A guy to Christian Yelich, which is like, it's fine. Right, yeah. Cause, yeah, because like even though Mike Trout is at, is at the number one spot on fantasy rankings, and this goes across all sports, 
if you're bypassing the number one guy to take someone within, let's say, the top five, then it's it's an acceptable choice. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Plus, uh, I know, like, at least this guy, he was worried that Mike Trout is going to miss a chunk of the season because of, you know, his wife is expecting. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, so that's why he felt more comfortable taking Christian Yelich. That's fair. Not a problem. The next guy who I'm telling you people about, he comes in and takes Pete Alonso with the second pick. Now, Pete now, Alonso. Now, granted, Pete Alonso had a great uh, 2019 season, yeah? But in fantasy rankings, he wasn't even top 20. Dude, like. I, I'm looking at this team right now, Lean. Uh, catcher, Mitch Garver, then Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, Didi Gregorius, J.D. Davis, Brandon Nimmo, Brian Reynolds, Aaron Hicks, Danny Santana, Travis Darnot, Gio Urshela, Will Smith, the catcher, pitching staff, Shohei Otani, Chris Paddock, Sonny Gray, Marcus Stroman, Kent Ameda, uh, Seth Lugo, Dylan Batances, Zach Britton, and Jordan Montgomery. This guy's going to finish dead last, and I am going to – I do not even feel bad – about the Gosh. amount, about the number of times that I'm going to roast him. According. Gosh, this is like how I determine if fantasy teams are bad or not. Literally, look at his team and try, like, to figure out which player he drafted first. His team is so bad that he doesn't even have like superstar players. Like, you couldn't even imagine which player he took with his first pick. That's like, how absurd this team is. The only players on this team with that I call even consider superstars. Um, are Pete Alonzo, I'll throw Glaber Torres in there because he's just, yeah. he's just a, a beast, and then Shohei Otani. Literally, those are the three that I had, too. Like, and Jeff and, McNeil, and, and, maybe. And just, sorry, but, just, just yeah. for the record, Shohei Otani only gets superstar status because he's a two-way player. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. His team makes no – I could not – so I obviously – I ended up – I told you I picked third. Yeah. I picked Mike Trout. Like, how absurd is that? I took Mike Trout with the third pick in a draft. Like, that's – oh, my gosh. And you didn't even get better. Like, he took Jeff McNeil with his next pick, too. And there were complete superstars available on the board. Like, yeah, I mean – That I, was so funny. I, I honestly don't remember who my first pick was, just looking at my team, just because I, just because I drafted like a normal person. But, I think it was Bregman, Josh. Yeah, it was yeah, Bregman. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. So oh no, no, you took Bregman with your ninth, with the ninth pick. You took someone right before. Oh, Degrom. Degrom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so here, so here's my read, team. read your team, and then I'll read mine. Yeah. Okay. So my team. This is the Pine Barrens Bodies, whose logo is, of course, a Jason Voorhees hockey mask. So, so going down, uh, Gary Sanchez, Anthony Rizzo, Mike Mustakis, Alex Bregman, Javi Baez, Tim Anderson. Eduardo Escobar, Giancarlo Stanton, Luis Robert, Victor Robles, Jorge Soler, Yoan Moncada, Joey Vado, and Miguel, uh, Miguel Sano. And then on my pitching staff, we got DeGrom, Steven Strasburg, Aaron Nola, Kirby Yates, Madison Bumgarner, Brad Hand, uh, Masahiro Tanaka, Zach Gallen, and Denilson Lamont. So, good. yeah, so like, I, not to toot my own horn, but I had a pretty good draft. Yeah, you did. Yeah, like for an eight team league, that's a pretty good draft. Especially because the people in our league weren't, you know, exactly the they, best they at were, drafting. They were drafting all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a this is a league where where like it's clear we're all just having fun. Yeah, I get it. But man, some of the draft decisions. Oh are, yeah, uh, for sure. All right, um, all right. What have you got for your Bronx Zoo? Okay, yeah, my team's a Bronx Zoo. Um, we have. Wilson Contreras, Freddie Freeman, Keston Hiora, 
Eugenio Suarez, Trevor Story, Xander Bogarts, Matt Chapman, Mike Trout, Charlie Blackman, Aaron Judge, Eddie Rosario, Yuli Gurriel, Wilson Ramos, Luis Arias, Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, Blake Snell, Jose Berrios, Mike Soroka, Nick Anderson, Craig Kimbrell, Hansel Robles, Ryan Yarbrough, and Araldis Chapman. Chapman, I think picking him up, that was a really shrewd move on your part, because even though he's out with COVID right now and we really don't know what his status is. Um, also, Josh, I had like I had this plan in mind when I drafted him. I literally threw him on the IL and picked up Hansel Robles, who's going to be the closer for the Angels. Yeah, so, you yeah, know, yeah. I think he'll be a good, like a decent temporary solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but also, I am always fully in favor of drafting someone, and this goes for a full fantasy season too, with 162 games. I am fully in favor of drafting someone who starts the year on the IL and then comes out and just. Uh, oh, of course, of course, of course. Like they're yeah. like that's never a bad decision. Right, right. Like it, it, there's a risk, especially if you don't know if they don't really have a clear timetable coming back. But Freddie Freeman, he's already uh, playing an interest squad game. S- same with Charlie Blackman, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so I didn't have a problem taking them. But classic me, of course, this happened. Um, I needed like a second, second, like a backup second baseman. Yeah. So I drafted. With one of my last picks, I drafted Gavin Lux of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And of course, like just a few hours after the draft, we found out that Gavin Lux didn't even make the opening day roster. <laughs> so I had to go and get rid of him. I mean, you could have um, kept him. He's, gonna, he's probably going to play at some point. Yeah, but like, you know, yeah. I need a backup second. Also, because Pro- what's his name? Hiura is uh, actually hurt right now. So I definitely need like yeah, a backup he- second baseman. Hiura's only day-to-day, though. Yeah, but just in case, you know. Yeah. I didn't want to have an empty second baseman spot. Either way, uh, we are playing each other the first week. I will do my best not to make you cry on next week's episode when I am basking in my victory. Okay, Josh. Okay, Josh. Yeah, you, say, <laughs> you say that every time as if it's going to deter me, but it doesn't. So uh, I will I'll just talk smack after I destroy you. You know what I'm saying? You think that having the Millennium Falcon as your as your avatar is going to help you? You are not even worthy to sit in one of the two pilot seats of the Millennium Falcon. You are in the back hanging out with R2-D2, maybe uh, throwing things at C-3PO because that's just entertaining. You are not in the cockpit. I am Han Solo. Both of my cats are collectively Chewbacca. We are taking over the driver's seat and blasting the Falcon into hyperdrive right into the buzzsaw that is Pine Baron's bodies. Josh, not, not to brag, but my team is literally better than yours, so I'm not yeah, sure what to tell see, you here. See, you say that, but uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever, leave me alone. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm we should, if you guys have an idea for a wager for me and Josh, just let us know on social media. Uh, you, you know what we could do? Uh, you're not into comedy shows, but there was a Canadian uh, semi-reality show back in the day called Kenny versus Spenny that had a pretty cool concept. Mm-hmm. So Kenny and Spenny, it's these two Canadian guys who are like, they're comedians, filmmakers, and they, I think they lived together at one point. Uh, they're lifelong friends. So the way the show works, they'd have a competition. And this, and this competition ranges from everything. First one to talk loses. First one to laugh loses. Who do old ladies like more? Who's the better dancer? So they have this, these competitions over a stretch of one to three days, at okay. the end of which a winner is crowned, and then the loser does a humiliation at the hands of the winner. 
like uh, for examples of these. Um, in what in the talking competition, one uh, one guy lost, and the loser had his mouth washed out with soap. Um, in, in another case, the loser had to eat something gross, or or yeah. or or jog around a city block in, in a bikini. It's two guys, so that so that so that made sense. Um, I don't know. So maybe we should do something like that. Maybe I'll. Uh, yeah, I'm so down for that. Yeah, maybe, I'm confident that I'm gonna destroy you. Maybe I'll make you tweet a picture of yourself in full Chelsea gear. Absolutely not. Hey, hey, if, hey! If I win, you have to. Whatever. At least it's not Arsenal. So okay. What's your point with Arsenal? Arsenal? I'm a Tottenham fan. We're rivals. Uh, but the Gooners are so nice. Ew! Oh my god. You know, Idris Elba is a huge Arsenal fan. Who? Idris Elba is a huge Arsenal fan. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Unfortunately. Big, big Ian Wright guy. That, that's his flaw. Everybody yeah. has a flaw. Elba's yeah. perfect. You, so let me ask this. Do you often forget that Idris Elba is British? No, I do not. See, I always... Yeah, you, you mentioned that to me. That you I always forget he's British because to me, Idris Elba is Stringer Bell and I watched him on The Wire, which if you haven't watched it, is a that's great fair. show. That's fair. I actually haven't seen The Wire yet, so maybe it's that's why. Yeah. Top three TV show of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard, yeah. Yeah, so it's, so you hear him doing, he's like, he's doing a West Baltimore accent. And then years later, he's on Luther, he's got a British accent. Then you have him, he's on Hot Ones, you know, the show where they, where the celebrities yeah, are yeah. interviewed while eating spicy wings. That's like my yeah. goal to get on that show. And, <laughs> and yet you hear him talk and he's got a full Cockney accent. Like, right. like Bob's your uncle and all that. Right, right. Like, it throws me off, I'm like, man, like Stringer Bell, what's happening? Right. That one must be, yeah, crazy. Yeah, five, yeah, season two of The Wire is the best, by the way. Okay, yeah, good to yeah. know. All right. Anyway, so now that I have, um, I have roasted your AAA fantasy team. Triple <laughs> A. Yeah, okay. let's, do some, uh, let's do some award predictions. Yeah. You do, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, which, where do we want to start? Okay, so uh, let's tell the listeners. We're going to be doing both MVPs both Cy Young winners, both Rookies of the Year, and both Comeback Players of the Year. You could do whatever order you want, Josh. Not really. All right. Let's start with uh, Comeback Player of the Year, just because in the American League, the answer is so obvious. It's Giancarlo Stan. Yeah. 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 Hands down. It's just like – I do. I agree with that. Yeah. Got completely robbed of a season last year, just like – He's so hungry to get back on the field. He's seeing the ball so well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see how it's not him, barring, God forbid, another, another horrific injury. Yep. No, I'm with you there. I also think it's going to be Sten. Yeah. National League is a little tougher. Uh, What's your answer? I don't think I have one. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I, and I'm pretty confident in saying this, even though he's not the number one favorite right now. Mets fans, I'm going to give it to you. I think it's going to be Yoana Cespedes. Cespedes is up there. Um, McCutcheon, I think, is the favorite right now. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll roll with McCutcheon just because the Pirates are my National League team. Okay. And, and, I, and I've just heard so many good things about McCutcheon. Like, he that, seems like an awesome dude. I know. I, I've heard from friends of mine who are from Pittsburgh who are Pirates fans that he is legit a great guy. Yeah, I'm like, not surprised at all. Like, to, to use a Harry Potter terminology, he is 100% a Hufflepuff. Just, <laughs> just a complete and utter sweet, just a complete and utter sweetheart. Yeah. Always makes time for fans, loves his family. 
So, and he was playing really well last year before he busted his knee up. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to write down, I'm going to write down yours too so we can come back to this when the season is over. Yeah, so. so, Yeah. Yeah, and Giancarlo Stan. Yeah, yeah, because I already have Stan too, so we're both on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, And keeping the same vein, rookie of the year, um, American League, I am going to go with the guy I drafted, Luis Robert. (laughs) I'm going with him as well. Yep. Uh, Luis Robert, just to pull up some of his stats, I mean, uh, fresh out of Cuba, outfielder, right-handed bat, he's 22, playing at, where was he last year? He played across three levels last year, high A, double, and triple. He hit 328 with 32 home runs, 92 RBIs, and 36 stolen bases. He's not, dude, oh my gosh, he's going to be like a proper five-tool player. He's Uh, nasty. Yeah, now that said, I don't think he's going to bat above 300 because he does strike out a lot, and he only only drew 28 walks in 551 plate appearances. I think that there's, I I think he will improve, though, in those regards. He's 22. There's a spot for him on the team. And especially in an era of launch angle and exit velocity, I think he is absolutely going to rake. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is someone who, in uh, uh, playing for uh, Diego de Avila in uh, the Cuban League, he hit 401 one year. Mm-hmm. So the guy can play. For sure. And the White Sox, they have a really strong out because they also have Eloy Jimenez. They yeah. have, oh, God, um, God, I see him right in um, Delmonico, who's not, not an outfielder, but he can yeah. still play. Uh, American League is Luis Robert. Who have you got in the National League? This is something I want to know. Nah, you tell me yours first, then I'll give you my little shit. No, 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 no. Ladies first, ladies first. Okay. So, up until two days ago, I had Gavin Lux. (laughs) So, Gavin Lux is obviously still an option. Lean, these are the baseball gods. Why do you make such ridiculous choices? Why aren't you psychic and omnipotent like the rest of us? Gavin Lux, seriously? What? He, what do you think? He plays for the Brooklyn Dodgers, not the Los Angeles Dodgers? Okay. <laughs> You're so rude. So, hey, look, hey, Ga- hey, 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 I, I, I don't know how they got access to the mic. You kidding me? I haven't completely given up on Gavin Lux. Excuse me. So, Gavin Lux is still up there for me, but if it's not Gavin Lux, I don't know how popular of an option this is. I'm going with Carter Keyboom of oh. the Nationals. I like him. I think he's All nice. Right. Uh, I did not pick Carter Keyboom. Who's your pick? I am going, I'm keeping on the overseas route. I am going with the Cincinnati Reds uh, new guy, Shogo Akiyama. Wow. That's, wow. All right, so Carter Keyboom, he's expected to be the third baseman, yeah? Yeah. All right. You can also play shortstop, but yes. Yeah, Uh, so... Let's see. Uh, he had a cup of coffee up in Washington last year. 11 games hit 128 with a pair of solo home runs. And that said, he's 21. He's fine. Let's not panic. Looking at his minor league stats, he spent last year at AAA Fresno. That's a long way for Washington. Uh, 109 games at 303, 16 homers, 79 RBIs. And nice on base percentage. Had a 409 OBP, mm-hmm. struck out 100 times. But I'm going to go with Akiyama. And here's why. He's already a veteran of the Japanese leagues. He spent his entire career with the Saibu Lions. Uh, in nine seasons in Japan, 304 lifetime hitter, 122 home runs, 124 steals, uh, left-handed bat, outfielder, great American ballpark. 
notoriously favoring the hitters. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that between Akiyama's skills as a player, he, he kind of seems like a slightly more effective. Uh, you remember Kosuke Fukudome with the Cubs? No. He was a highly typed, a high, uh, very highly hyped uh, Japanese prospect back. I want to say about ten years ago. Okay. And, and he kind of had a had a, a had a powering speed streak going in Japan. Didn't really follow him to to the majors, mm-hmm. but then he went back to Japan and was a star again. Okay. Uh, as he wound down his career, so Akiyama he does have age working against him. He's thirty two. But yeah. I think that between Great American Ballpark being a hitter's park, he's very durable. He, ha- he was an Ironman, played in exactly 143 games every year since 2015. And, and then just the culture that David Bell is trying to create over in Cincinnati. He's trying right. to team a lot of swagger. I think that Akiyama is going to fully buy into that, especially with other guys like Joey Votto and Amir Garrett around. Right. So I think he's absolutely going to mash I, that, I, that, that's I, a really interesting pick. I respect it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Key boom. He's also got big shoes to fill with Anthony Rendon gun. For sure. Yeah. And I understand that there are some prospects who are great at a young age, but I, I think Carter Keeboom's going to have a very good year. But, but again, though, you have to remember, Keeboom is not my first choice. If Lux gets called up, like you know, relatively will. soon, yeah, then Lux is absolutely by and far my number one guy. Even, even then, though, I gotta go with Akiyama. No, that's just, fair. Yeah, just because he knows major league pitching, and I'm now keep in mind, I am kind of in the camp of he's not really a rookie just because he spent nine years playing yeah. playing in Nippon professional baseball, but I. The numbers just jump out at me. That's and knowing, fair. And knowing what I do about the Reds and just how much swagger they have, and they're like kind of cocky and confident, they're not afraid. I, that's gonna be interesting to watch because there's no fights or like charging the mound. Yeah, them. right. So like all the brawls that made them famous last year, we're not gonna see, and so that's probably gonna kill uh, yeah. David Bell. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, but I'm going. To, I'm gonna die on the hill of Shogo Akiyama, much how I will die on the hill that the Washington Football Team should be the Washington Washingtons. <laughs> All right, I guess we'll see about that one. Yeah. Yeah, but it's going to be Red Tails, and that's fine. But yeah. Anyway, next in terms of awards, um, let uh, let's do Cy Young. Let's do okay. Cy Young. Go for it. All right, National League Cy Young. This was very tricky. I kind of went back and forth on this one before I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm throwing my money down. Walker Bueller is my guy. He's the favorite right now so that's that's an okay pick yeah yeah, the the Dodgers are feeling good for reasons that we'll get into and later we'll we'll kind of tie in the the awards the awards conversation with that yeah Walker say what you want about Clayton Kershaw it's Walker Bueller's pitching staff right now oh of course yeah I've never I've never seen someone so young as Bueller because he's what like 23 no he's 25 okay yeah, twenty five. He's about to turn twenty six. He pitches like he's been in the league for ten years. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's just like I see a lot of David Cohn in him, in that he just knows what he wants on the mound. He's he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, la- last year, thirty starts, fourteen and four, three point two six ERA with the ESPN music in the background as I as I look at what he has, <laughs> one point oh four WHIP at twenty five. Yeah. And less than a hit. Nasty. Yeah, and he, he can strike guys out. Less than a hit per inning. I think that if the Dodgers come out swinging like I think they will, even if, even if the bats fall asleep, I think Bueller's going to pitch well enough and he'll kind of do like a King Felix bit where 
okay, he's not necessarily on the best team, but man, he was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, who have you got for the NL Cy Young? I do second what you were saying that this was very hard. I think he's going to do it three in a row for Jacob deGrom. Get out of here. No, no, forget it. No. Look, I am a little biased because, yeah, I like, I hate the Mets, but Jacob deGrom is actually my favorite baseball player who does not play for the Yankees. So there's a little bias in there, but I don't know. At at least you're acknowledging it. Yes. Um, Well, he's nasty. He's going to do it. Yeah, uh, I think that DeGrom is going to finish in the top five for Cy Young voting. Oh, for sure. That's not even a question. I, th- yeah. I, think, I think Bueller goes over the top this year. That's fair. The, but, the, yeah. the National League has a lot of great pitching. Let's just throw that out there right now. For sure. My, actually, my prediction for top three is DeGrom, Scherzer, Bueller. I think that's what is going to be the top three. They may not necessarily finish in that order. Scherzer's but... not. I don't think Scherzer's going to make it. Really? I think that – now, granted, his getting lit up in the Indra Spotter exhibition game the other day, that had a, has a lot to do with rust, I'm sure. But yeah. I have a feeling that just because of how hard the Nationals had to work just to get to the playoffs, let alone the World Series, I think that there's going to be something of a hangover effect. Not a big one, mind you. I think they'll, I think they'll still probably make it as a wild card team. Yeah. But I, I don't think that Scherzer is going to be – as dominant as he has been because he's not he's getting up there too he's about to turn 36 yeah yeah, he's an old man on monday he's an old man but he can still pitch of course yeah so i think that when push comes to shove it's going to be bueller it's his time like just like john Cena, everyone else's time is up his time is now right (laughs) you can't see him his time is now okay that's fair all right we'll see which one of us wins that one all right now who now for the american league who have you got look Okay, obviously, I have Garrett Cole. Yeah. <laughs> am, I, am I annoying you yet? Thank God I didn't hear half of that, so that was, that was good. Um, I have Garrett Cole. I will be honest, though. I haven't said this before. I am actually a little worried about Garrett Cole. I, I don't know why. I have, like, a feeling he's not going to be as great. But I do still think that he's the best pitcher in the American League right now. Um, I feel like everything's going to, you know, fall into place for him. I don't know how lights out his numbers are going to be. And I am concerned. I don't know if it's just like me being a worried Yankees fan. I don't know if you share the same concerns, but yeah, I'm still giving him the Cy Young. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to Cole too, just because he's the best option on paper. And it's the the American, here's the thing, the American league. It's not like the national league where you have a dynastic Cy Young voting. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, it, it's such a deep pool where there's so many big fish. I mean, I'm looking at ESPN's uh, extra picks right now. Out of all of the guys in the American League who got votes, Garrett Cole got 20. The next one after him was Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Indians. He got yeah. three. Jose, Jose Berrios, two. Mike Clevenger got two. Tyler Glasnow got two. Garrett Cole, he's got such a powerful lineup supporting him, yeah. arguably more powerful than what he had with the Astros. Yeah. And, th- and not just that, he's living the dream. He is yeah. at Yankee Stadium on the Yankees, the team he grew up rooting for. And you don't have Instagram. I was following him and his wife, Amy, and Aaron Boone because, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're neighbors. They live down the road from each other. Mm-hmm. Garrett was very diligent about keeping his arm loose and throwing. I mean, he, he and Amy, while she was pregnant, mind you, 
we're just throwing together in the backyard. She's an ex-college softball player, I think also at UCLA. And she's, yeah, yeah. She's I think that's where they met. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, her brother is Brandon Crawford on the Giants. Yep. Yeah. So I think that he was throwing regularly and consistently enough with people who are going to hold him accountable for mistakes and adjustments he has to make. Because if you listen to Cole talk, Lee, it's kind of like listening to David Cohn. He is a student of pitching. Mm-hmm. He is a, almost a, an historian when it comes yeah. to it. He's like offering all these little tips and tricks and his approach. He's, I don't like to use this term much. He's such an alpha dog on the mound. Yeah. It's like, it's like hey, the stadium's his yard. Right. He's not going anywhere. And especially now with the Yankees and the Blue Jays, and all of a sudden they might not have to go to Toronto anymore. They might just have to take a short bus ride to Buffalo or stay at home. Right. And just serve as the road team. Right, right. That overwhelmingly favors Garrett Cole. For more sure. Than realize. Plus, the Orioles and the Marlins are god-awful. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not to say they don't have potential. They're just in the middle of a rebuild. Just on paper, compared to the Yankees and other teams within that little eastern block, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Like, they're gonna get they don't stand a chance. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, God, I, I was talking with, um, with my friend the other day. She and her husband are Phillies fans. And she made a she made a remark how, yeah, some of the teams here just kind of looked at who they had to play and were very unhappy. And then I posted the the gif of Jim Carrey from Liar Liar, where he's like, "Oh come on!" <laughs> and, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, this is the Orioles and Marlins when they had to." When they yeah, had to. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I right. kind of feel bad for them. Yeah. All right, American League MVP. Who you got and why? You ready for this? Yes. Okay. No one can call me bias. I just have a strong feeling. Mr. Aaron Judge. Interesting. Okay. Isn't it, isn't All right. It? All right. So you and I went down a very similar path, but with different guys. You picked Aaron Judge. I think it's going to be Glaber Torres. Wow. Because Glaber Torres, he's – I don't know how many of the inter-squad games you watch or how many of the exhibition games. Because, granted, Judge is seeing the ball well. He's got the home run swing good to go. Mm-hmm. He's going to – He's going to mesh. Let's just put that yeah. out there. Glaber Torres is also smacking the ball left and right, but he's also seeing the ball, I think, ever so slightly better. Because I think Glaber Torres this year, he's going to find that balance between being a strong power hitter but also hitting well for contact. Yes, yes. Because like, like, people have been saying ever since he came over from the Cubs, he's got the potential to be a 300 hitter and the power is going to show up too. Right. So – just imagine, Lean, Glaber Torres in a shortened season, mind you, but then this is going to think about this for the long term as well. Glaber Torres hitting double-digit home runs, but also batting well above 300. Yeah, that's... With lots of doubles and singles, of course. That's literally MVP status, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that Glaber Torres this year, he's going to further cement himself as the Yankees' top infielder of the future. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Derek Jeter because no one can touch the captain, plus Aaron Judge is the leader in the clubhouse. Let's get that Mm -hmm. clear. Um, But I think Glaber, uh, it's going to be a very happy Glaber day on several levels for the Yankees, for baseball. Glaber, he just got that it factor, you know? I I do think that Glaber is going to be a future MVP for sure. Like, he'll end up winning maybe even more than one. But I don't know. I just have this gut feeling that – you know, Aaron Judge was robbed in 2017. And he's going to be hungry to actually get it, like stay healthy and, you know, be given the award this time around. So Yeah, because Aaron Judge, he, he's not a big talker. Yeah. Say. Like he's very quiet, kind of, kind of deep sure. and soft-spoken. But he knows how to talk trash and kind of like rally yeah. the troops. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the victory theme of the Yankees clubhouse last year was two chains. Yeah. Right. And, then, and then after they beat the Red Sox in the playoffs at one time, he's blasting New York, New York. With of course. Yep. Yeah. Now, yeah. All, I, all I need to know is figure out what his favorite pizza topping is, and then, then maybe he can become my best friend. When we get him on the show, we'll ask him. Have we had the pizza conversation? What's your go-to pizza topping? I don't know if I have a go-to. It's probably – like, I like a good regular slice, but yeah. if I had to pick a topping, it's really neck and neck between buffalo chicken and ziti. Z- those, okay, that's aggressive. Because <laughs> buffalo chicken, there's, there's a time and place for that, but ziti on pizza, that's when you're saying, no, screw it, carbs are my friend, I don't care. Yeah, let, me, yeah. let me have all of them. Yeah. yeah where, whereas I'm, a, I'm basic, I like sausage and mushroom. Okay. And so I never, mushroom I, on pizza is incredible. I will only eat mushroom on pizza. Oh, you don't like mushrooms? It's, it's a texture thing for me. Oh my gosh. They're like low key, they're actually high key the best vegetable. You're tripping. Uh, oh, oh, okay. No. no yes. No. Yes, no. Yes. Broccoli and kale are the best vegetables. Stop. Kale is good. No, it doesn't touch mushroom. And broccoli is amazing, but no, no. Dude, mushroom, bro? No. And here's the worst part. If I'm going to have mushroom on pizza, it's got to be those little crappy canned mushrooms. Oh, my gosh. You were like the I, worst. Yeah, well, you're the one who agreed to do the show with me, so you're stuck with That's me That's so true. Clearly yeah. a mistake. Uh, yeah. Okay, who's your NL MVP? NL MVP, and this kind of bleeds into what we, what we were going to talk about next. I'm going to go with Mookie Betts. He is my close second. Um, yeah, okay. No, I'm going with Ronald Acuna Jr. That seems to the be the very popular superstar. pick. Ronald yeah, Acuna. I think he's the favorite. Yep. Yeah, but Mookie Betts is a close second for me. So that's I'm, good- I'm picking Mookie Betts, and you know what? Let's just talk about this in the meantime because we have to talk about it anyway. Mookie Betts is about to get – Actually, one, one minute ago, MLB just confirmed he agreed to a 12-year contract extension that will keep him in L.A. through 2032. Yeah, so 2032, that's a 12-year contract. Yep. It's like – see if well, we got the money yet. Yeah, 12 years, $365 million. and that's on, yeah. Excuse me, I'm burping today. 12-year, $365 million extension. That's on top of the $27 million he's already making this year. So then once you factor that, this is essentially, yeah, yeah, it's 12 years, $365 million. And I think that is a fantastic deal for the Dodgers. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Because he's 27 years old, like 27, 28. He's an elite hitter phenomenal defensive right fielder and if his legs start to go he's got he's built um wirely enough at 590 you could stick him in the infield in an emergency mm-hmm. yep he's yeah. already played the infield so yeah. yeah he started he came up as a i think a second baseman yeah no i mean even with the red sox like he's played uh well, at no, no, second no. base yeah 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 yeah, yeah. his rook, his rookie year he was an infielder yeah and, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then they moved him to the outfield to get better use out of his legs right so um, my only, I guess, for lack of a better word, concern is going to be that in Dodger Stadium, his power might take a dip, but mm-hmm. he's, he's such a good contact hitter as it is for that, sure. that he, the money's going to be worth it. Now, now granted, double-digit year contracts, we've seen this in several sports, namely baseball and hockey, with, especially with the New Jersey Devils and Ilya Kovalchuk. Double-digit, uh, double-digit contracts in terms of length, um, they can burn you. But mm-hmm. the Dodgers are such an intelligent organization in terms of building the farm system 
and picking and choosing where their money's spent. And they've got a lot of money coming off the books in the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. so now they lock down Betts, who's a once in a generation type talent, much like his teammate, Cody Bellinger. So now, even though he has his money, they can now look toward the future and figure out, okay, how are we going to pay um, Walker Bueller? How are we going to pay Cody Bellinger? Right. How are we going to pay Gavin Lux if he lives up to the hype? Yeah, so, for sure. So this was a very smart decision by the Dodgers. I'm, you're always going to stop short at contracts that are 10 years or more. But I think that between getting paid, between, between playing on a team that is ready to win now for several years and doesn't have a rebuild in its future, or at least for the next five, let's say, I think that this was the best he was going to get without testing the market. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I don't know what kind of contract the Red Sox offered him. I know they made him an offer at some point, but he really wanted to test what he really wanted to test the market. Right. Show me another team besides the Dodgers who next winter after uh, the pandemic was going to commit this kind of money to Mookie Betts. No, that's a real, that's a fair point. So yeah. I, I think, and we talk about war all the time. This is the one thing where I really bang on war unapologetically. Sabermetrics are valuable. They are a valuable tool for building a team. We'll say on the cheap for lack of a better word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that the one thing sabermetrics do not measure, they cannot measure. It's because it's impossible to measure this. You cannot measure the human element or not to name drop what Bucky Dent described to me as the feel of the game. Yeah. You look at me and tell me, let's say Mike Trout, he's already a great player on the Angels. He's the best player in, in all of baseball right now. Yep. Like, can't, nobody can touch him. He's already a 10-war player on the Angels. You put him on the Yankees and you tell me he's not going to have a little extra bounce on his step playing for a championship being among a great group of guys, and he's not going to up his war by, let's say, one or two. Yeah. I think yeah. that Mookie Betts playing in Los Angeles on a team that knows what it's doing, that isn't in the midst of a teardown like the Red Sox, mm -hmm. that is willing to invest in its future on several levels on a grand scale, that isn't afraid to spend the big bucks, I think that he is going to have a great year. He's going to hit well above 300. Maybe – 20-ish home runs. I think that I think that's doable in 60 games. I, I gotta. I it's so hard trying to predict numbers in a shorter season. Oh yeah, I've but, noticed that as well. Yeah. Yeah, but he's he's capable of having 25, 30 home run seasons. He is an excellent guy to have in the clubhouse. Always has a big smile across his face. And uh, Caitlin and I also went to the the awards dinner a couple of years ago. Actually, very briefly met his wife, his baby daughter, and his parents. That's so cool. He's such a nice guy. Now, oh, God, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell this full story. So Betts was there to receive his MVP trophy. Mm -hmm. Now, he showed up. He's sitting up on the dais in this loud leopard print jacket. He's got, he's got the hat, the fedora on. And I'm like, dude, like, I understand that you're the MVP, but, like, you're going to wear the hat indoors. Like, why are you going to be that guy? And he stepped up to the mic, lean up to the podium, Every criticism that I had of him that night, I took back immediately because he was just so thrilled to be there, was so overwhelmed by the experience, called on his parents to stand up, thanked them profusely, thanked his, his wife, his little girl. It's such, and just from talking with them very briefly, he, they're such good people, wonderful family. Uh, I'm not a Dodgers fan by any means, but I wish Mookie Betts nothing but 
absolute success in his future. Just let the just let the Yankees have a, have at least one or two World Series. All right, that, yeah. that's all I ask. Honestly, um, even like when he was on the Red Sox, this obviously annoyed me because he played for the Red Sox. Right. But he is such a likable guy. It is so hard to hate him. It, yeah, it's, it's the David Ortiz effect all over again. You hate him when he beats up on your team, but then, like, otherwise you have nothing but good things to say about him. I guess, yeah. No, I, I low-key couldn't stand Ortiz. I think because he, he was I, so good. I don't know. I couldn't stand Ortiz more for the bat flipping before, and that was when I kind of realized, you know what, bat flips are a thing, just let him happen. Yeah. But, just for, but what really got me on Ortiz was – because he didn't have to do this. After the Boston Marathon, he comes out and says, hey, this is our effing city. Right. Yeah, so, but anyway, you picked Ronald Acuna. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ronald Acuna, I was going to say he's a superstar in the making. He's maybe is already there. Five-tool player, great at everything. I think he's going to be untouchable this season. Um, he's already, like, a top player in the entire league. I, I, re- I really, I do think he's going to be the best player in the National League this year. And I think it's just going to be – like good things from here on out. He's fun and he's an amazing player all around. He can do it all. I I, I think he's gonna yeah. shine. I mean, this Acuna, he, he certainly checks all the boxes. He's he's twenty two, five tool player. Last year led the National League in plate appearances, runs scored, and steals. Mm-hmm. Hit, excuse me, two eighty. God, I, can't, I have too much water today. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, so he hit two eighty. And this could be the year where he does continue to take steps forward. This is why I don't think he's going to be MVP. He'll, he'll finish probably in the top five, maybe even top three. Mm-hmm. He's going to come ever so close, and here's why. Were, were we playing a full season, and it was the standard divisional structure, like each, uh, you have two leagues with three divisions, and he was spending most of his time in the NL East, I would think, yes, he is absolutely the MVP. But the fact that the Braves now have to compete against the Yankees, compete against the Rays, compete against these stronger American League teams that have a little bit more experience both in the lineup and the pitching staff, and the Braves have such a young pitching staff themselves, save for Cole Hamels, mm-hmm. I think that they're, they're going to they're gonna struggle. I'm not going to say they won't make the playoffs, but they're going to have a bit of an uphill battle just in terms of maintaining their status as a playoff team. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it makes sense, but, like, I don't know. Wait, who do you think is going to win that division? Uh, I Well, okay. I think that the Braves will be the top NL team, but I think that because their arms are so young, they're going to have to do a – like, I think that they're just going to have a harder battle. That's all. They're, they're, no, but that's they, what I'm saying. Like, who do you, who do you think is going to win that division, though? Oh, the Yankees, easily. No, the NL East. Yeah, but yeah, but there are all the East teams are playing in the same division together now. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay. Um. I mean, I don't like. Okay. Okay. I guess what you're saying is fair. You don't see the Braves getting in with a a wild card. I think. Oh no! I think they will get in with a wild card, but that you know how it goes. The for some reason, except when it comes to Mike Trout, there's this idea that the winner of the MVP has to be on a winning team. And yeah. I, think, I think that the Braves will be a winning team, just not as much compared to, let's say, the Dodgers. And I think that Mookie Betts, because he's got so much charisma, because he's, he's more of a household name, 
than Ronald Acuna just in terms of accomplishments. Okay. I think that the writers might be ever so slightly biased towards them. It's going to be a close race. I'm yeah. not disputing that at all. But I think that just because of the contract and that he's probably feeling good about getting paid that he knows he's not going to have to uproot his family again next year. Yeah. I think that, I think that Mookie Betts is going to just barely be pushed over the top compared to Acuna. Acuna's going to have a great year, as great a year as he can have in a shortened season. But I think that Mookie Betts is going to have the better all-around year. And he's going to just be of greater value to the Dodgers as a whole. Because if you look at how they've performed in the, in the World Series the last couple of times, they've always missed that one banger to help compliment Bellinger. Yeah, that's, that's and, a really and, valid and, point. Yeah. And that's, that's not a knock against the rest of the team. But they need, like, that one-two punch. And Betsy yeah. needs that. And I think, and I think that without, without a question, it's going to be a tight race, but he will be the MVP. Okay. That's yeah. I mean, look, he like I said, he's a very close second for me. I was tempted to pick him too, but I just like I really like Acuna, and I think he's gonna shine. But you like made some really good points. Um, yeah, uh, you, know? you, got, uh, you got big plans for opening day tomorrow. Sorry, you got plans? plans? Yeah. No, I'm just gonna be chilling at home, I'm just sitting by the TV, anxiously awaiting seven o'clock, bro. I don't know about you. Seven o seven o eight on uh, ESPN. If yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'll probably be up there. I think I got maybe one friend coming over, and we'll. Keep oh, that's going. nice. Yeah, I'll probably throw like a Zoom together for the Yankees crew, as I like to call that. As I like to call them. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it should be a fun night for sure, and a fun season. And uh, I'm excited that we were we were able to record this episode uh, ahead of it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Me too. Um, yeah. I, I have I have our uh, predictions all written out, and we will go back to this once the season is over. Are we making it official that the loser has to do a humiliation? Oh no, that was fantasy. That we was can fantasy. do for this too, actually. Le yeah, yeah. Let's um, different ones. Okay, yeah, we could do that. All right. Oh man, I might, I might have to do a double humiliation. This is gonna, this is gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, you you already know. You don't already know you're gonna lose both. Yeah. Okay. Just don't make me wear a Liverpool jersey, please. Don't make <laughs> don't make me do that. I can't. I think I'm gonna, yeah. Okay. okay. Would, Thanks for I, giving me an idea. At least make it a Mo Salah Egypt jersey. Come on. Okay. I'll think about it. All right. Anyway, uh, that is all for today on uh, Yankees Mets Express, folks. Special thanks to Elite Sports NY, the voice, the pulse of New York City sports. Uh, I hope everyone here has a great opening day. And most importantly, stay tuned after we're done wrapping up to hear my interview with Yes Network's Jack Curry. He and David Cohn wrote the book. Full Count, The Education of a Pitcher. It's now available in paperback from Grand Central Publishing. You can get it at any store or Amazon. Definitely give it a read. It's fantastic. Uh, read my interview with Jack on um, EliteSportsNY.com on the Yankees page. And uh, Lean, give him your social media information. At Lean, L-E-E-N underscore Amin, A-M-I-N on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Josh B E S N Y. Again, the book is Full Count, The Education of, the, of a Pitcher by Jack Curry, the analyst on the Yes Network, former New York Times national baseball beat writer, and David Cohn, a five-time World Series champion uh, with the Yankees and Toronto Blue Jays, 17 years in the majors. And uh, that's all for today on Yankees Mets Express, folks. Uh, thanks as always. And of course, stand clear of the closing doors. So just sit back and relax. And the rest will come, all right? Sounds good, Josh. All right, so let's start. Uh
You grew up in Jersey City, so did you grow up a Yankee? It's interesting that you asked that question. I have a brother who's a couple years older than me. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1964, so I'm five years old. I have a seven-year-old brother who was watching the 69 Mets, and I didn't know what was going on because I was born in November, so I was actually four when the Mets won the World Series. But I don't know if you have any older siblings, but especially my older brother, I followed in his footsteps. So as a kid, there was a lot of Mets love in our house, a lot of Tom Seaver, a lot of Ed Cranepool, a, a lot of John Milner. So I was a baseball fan through and through, though, Josh, but in the early days, following in my brother's footsteps, it was it was a lot of blue and orange. I can actually understand that because uh, even though I covered the Yankees and was a Yankees fan growing up, uh, my mom's entire side of the family, they're from Queens, Long Island, so they're very much into the Mets. And on my you dad's know what's side... Interesting? Yeah, what's interesting? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was, was going to say... About that. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, all right. Two writers talking together. Because uh, similarly, my dad's side, they're all from South Jersey by the Pine Barrens, so they were more into the Phillies than this kind of so you've had you you have you're touching all upon all those teams. The thing uh, that Jeff, I, I tell people, yeah, I was going to say, were it not for my first ever baseball game being Jim Abbott's no hitter, who knows what would have happened? And that's a good one to go to. My gosh, that's yeah. a, and a great guy, by the way. I spoke to uh, Jim recently. We were doing some interviews for uh, Yes, our Yes, We're Here platform during mm-hmm. the uh, pandemic when no baseball was around. And he's he's a gentleman. Jim Abbott, terrific guy. My college advisor grew up with him in Michigan. Very cool. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying before we got got on that rack, sorry. I was saying that a lot of the guys I grew up with in my neighborhood were Mets fans, a couple Yankee fans sprinkled in. But when I started covering baseball for the New York Times, uh, objective is the way that you go, and it's about the game. It's about the story. It's not about rooting. And my my wife had this memorized. We've been married for 28 years, and when I was covering baseball for the time, she would always says, "Jack roots for fast games and good stories." And obviously, now I work for the S Network, and when the Yankees are successful, that's very good for our network. And I'm not foolish enough not to realize that. But in my job, in watching the games and analyzing the games, I can't sit there and watch the game the way a fan would and perhaps root for an outcome. I have to, okay, why did he throw a slider there? Why didn't he throw his high fastball there? What did the hitter do right or wrong there? So I went down that objective road at at a very young age, and I've remained there. You sound a lot like David does in his book that you wrote together. Yeah, and David takes his broadcasting very seriously, Josh. And when when we got to that point in the book and we were talking about it, I know the amount of work David puts in during his broadcasts, but he actually even surprised me a little bit about that that sort of player dilemma. I don't want to sit here in the broadcast booth and just criticize guys because I know how hard this game is to play. But David also said you, you can't be a fraud. And if you see something that's done incorrectly on a field or you disagree with a manager's decision, you have to point that out. And I think David is terrific at doing that. 
He really is. Um, that kind of leads perfectly into my next question. You mentioned you were at the New York Times. When did they give you the Yankees beat? I started at the Times, Josh, in 1987, and I started in a program that was called the Writing Program, which mm-hmm. I don't think even exists anymore, but it was a way to hire young journalists, and you were going to do a lot of clerical work, answer phones, do research for other reporters, but if you showed enough hustle and enough initiative, you would get an opportunity to write. So probably by 1990, I started covering baseball, but they also had me doing college football, college basketball. Took over the Yankees as a beat writer at the midway point of the 1991 season. Now, at this point, you're probably very much aware of who David Cohn is because he's starring across the river with the Mets. Very much aware, and in 1990, I had done some Mets and Yankees. As I said, the the Times had me doing some baseball. I wasn't exclusively a Yankee writer. I wouldn't say that David and I were buddy-buddy or knew each other very well back then, but I absolutely was in the clubhouse and interviewed him and, and, and knew what he was about. Josh, I really got to know him in 95 when he came over to the Yankees in a trade that's the point where I started to get to know him, and I always appreciated his baseball talent, but the one thing I always tell people about David, and this is why I wanted to write a book with him, is he was a go-to guy in the clubhouse, whether you were talking about his slider, labor relations, Derek Jeter's defense, uh, Paul O'Neill's swing, David Cohn's baseball knowledge would just jump out at you. That's really what what sh- what uh, stood out to me in, in this book, which I finished reading just about an hour ago. David, he's very emotionally intelligent, but he's got, as he puts it, a monotonous. He's talking about after the 1993 season with the uh, with the Royals, where the wins aren't quite there, but he's overall pitching well. That's when he's talking about sabermetrics. That was a shock to me yeah. because, as far as I knew. Paper metrics and Moneyball didn't really become a thing until Oakland in uh, the early 21st century, and he's talking about having access to these numbers in the 90s. I think that he had access to the numbers, Josh. I don't think it necessarily had the name Sabermetrics, but we knew that was what he was referring to. He had a great strikeout-to-walk ratio. He wasn't mm-hmm. allowing a lot of hits per innings, and his ERA was down. I don't think they had adjusted ERA back then. But you're right, the wins weren't there because he was playing for a poor team. And back then, that was how starting pitchers judged themselves. So I think Mm -hmm. when he had an agent in Steve Fear, who was Donald Fear's brother, and we know Donald Fear led the Players' Union for so long. That's right. Steve Fear is one of the people who pointed that out to him. Look at your numbers. These numbers are really, really good. And that even goes back to an arbitration hearing he had against the Mets where the Mets challenged his salary figure because his one loss record wasn't great. I think he might have been 14 and 14 or something. But Steve Fear brought all these other stats to the table about the games he could have won with a better offense, and Cohn won that arbitration hearing. Uh, let's talk about, because while we're on, that, on a similar subject, this was actually my favorite part of the book, just an incredibly emotional story, where at the winter meetings in Louisville, Kentucky, the late, great Ewing Kaufman, battling cancer, invites Cohn to his hotel room and says, 
you want to come home, let's not leave this room until we have a deal. I mean, that, that's such an emotional and poignant story to share. And Josh, he was the man who was, let's be blunt, he was dying at that point. He was lying in a hospital bed, pipe bed, in the hotel, but it meant so much to him and the city of Kansas City that he wanted to bring a hometown hero back. David started his career with Kansas City, was debuted in 86, was traded yep. before the 87 season, had a lot of success, and it meant so much to Ewing Kaufman to have him back that he made that trip. And you're absolutely right. It's an emotional story, and he gave him a contract that David couldn't say no to, included a $9 million signing bonus. It gave David some protection against the imminent work stoppage, which we eventually saw. But, yes, David speaks very highly of Kaufman and said, as a Kansas City kid, how could I not respect what this man was trying to do for his franchise? 100%. And there's so much to take away and learn from this book. Um, now, I didn't realize this until, um, until I started reading it, that you also co-authored one of my favorite sports writing books, The Life You Imagine with Derek Jeter. And they're several years apart. And I remember just looking at the two books side by side. They're kind of like half memoir, half how-to. Uh, did you did you use uh, that same style and approach on purpose? It's interesting, Josh. With the Jeter book, I was approached by Jeter and his mm -hmm. people, and they kind of had an idea of how they wanted the book to go. <clears throat> and I, I mean, within the title, it says "Life Lessons for Achieving Your Dreams." That's I think right. David, we we started out on a a pitching journey that even he has said once we sat down. It became more of a personal journey. But I never planned to try and mimic what we did with the Jeter book. I actually think the, the Cone book, for, for numerous reasons, has more depth to it. I mean, if, I, if I'm grading my own books, Jeter was 25, 26 years old when we did that book, three or four years into his career. Mm -hmm. Cone's career is over. He's a 55 or 56-year-old man when we wrote that book. He's talking about the pitfalls and the problems and the things he did wrong in his career. He's got stories about his dad and his brother and coaches that he either got along with or didn't get along with. So though I'm very proud of both books, I think the Cone book digs deeper into David's life simply because we had a bigger canvas. We had 30 more years of life to talk about absolutely and looking through the book it was absolutely fascinating he has, he has almost an eidetic memory he's pinpointing the exact pitches to the exact hitter the exact time frame i can't think of i can't think of what i had for lunch last week let alone like a pitch i threw in a high school game it's interesting found out about that too and i don't think david is alone in this way the Games that involve misery and a lack of joy are the ones that he remembered more than the games that he pitched wonderfully in. Now, we do a whole chapter. She remembered every detail about that. I'm sorry, Jack. Can you repeat that? You broke up for a second. Yes, I said that he focused or remembers the misery more than he remembers the joy. A lot of downtimes in his career and games where he made mistakes he was very detailed about those, 
Now, we did a whole chapter on the perfect game, of course. We, we would have been idiots if we didn't do that. But I remember reading one review where someone said something along the lines of, Cone is going to take you to some of his darkest moments on the field where he failed, and we'll, we'll, we'll rush past the season that he won 20 games. And I thought, actually, the reviewer kind of has that right because Cone expected to succeed. He expected to excel. That, that's who he was. So in the moments where he failed, I think that's where some of the emotion and some of the description really came out of him. Yeah, I bet. Now, uh, you were still at the Times and on the beat when he threw the perfect game, right? I was. Were you there for it? I was not. Oh, uh, no! Right, it's a... I was... um, I shouldn't say I was on the beat. I, I, I covered the beat through 97. I was a okay. national baseball writer from 98 on, but okay. I still covered a lot of Yankees. If you were a national baseball writer in those days, the Yankees were the biggest national story. That Absolutely. happened on a weekend. I actually had that weekend off, and what a mistake, Josh. I, I, I regret not having been there, and I regret not jumping up in the fifth inning or so. I live about a half hour from Yankee Stadium. I, I should have dashed in. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching that game, uh, July 99. Yeah, I was 13, and I was at home with my dad and my grandfather. And I remember what stood out to me most was that, as, as discussed in the book, there's a half-hour rain delay. Other, other pitchers would have gone out, but no, Cone stayed in, and the rest is history. Stayed in and loves to tell the story of how he stayed warm by tossing a baseball in the corridor of Yankee Stadium with one of their back boys, a kid named, well, he's not a kid anymore, he's probably 40, a guy named Luigi, who they just Luigi called Castillo, yeah. who who's a nice young man, and he plays a role in uh, Cone's perfect game, and Cone, Cone tells that story often. He'll, he'll bring that up and how you needed to keep your arm warm during that rain delay. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. So you covered the Yankees for a while, and two people who feature prominently in the book, David Wells, George Steinbrenner, two of the most bombastic personalities in baseball history. It must have been an interesting time having the two of them plus Cone all sharing a clubhouse together. Yeah, I knew George well. I I was fortunate that from covering the Yankees since 91, if you did not have a relationship with George you were pretty useless to your news entity, newspaper, radio station, magazine. And I was able to get George to return some of my phone calls. I tried to be fair as a beat writer. If there was something that deserved criticism, I would levy that criticism. But I was able to get George to return my phone calls, which was key. Wells was a guy, Josh, who I always thought kind of like the school who just loved being in the in the locker room, loved being the prankster, loved being a little bit of the clown prince. I got along with David. Didn't bother me. There were some writers who he clashed with. I, I was not one of those. I, I was able to have a relationship with him and, and interview him when I needed to. The the dynamic between Steinbrenner and Wells was all, always interesting because they had a couple of blow ups in their day where they almost got into a fight once. Talked about in his book, and Cone, in the midst of all that, Josh was the sort of bodyguard in a way, or the protector. Uh, Wells and Tory did not get along, and we detail this in the book. Where at one point, 
Cohn finally says to Tory in 1998, Joe, let me have him. Just let, yeah. me, let me take over. I'll watch over him. And Cohn told me something that I had never heard. And when I talked to other people about it, they hadn't heard about it. In that 98 season when the Yankees were the best team in the world, Unstoppable. Cohn and Wells would stay. Jack? Jack, I lost you. Hello? Wells just. Hey, I'm still here, Josh. You got me? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you were saying they would stay on the road separate from the team. Right. They would stay in a different hotel because Cohn understood that Wells liked being a rebel. He liked his space. He didn't want to come back at 2 o'clock in the morning, whether he had had a few drinks or not, and run into somebody in the lobby. And it worked. I mean, look at those two guys and the numbers that they put up that year. Finishing third and fourth in the AL Cy Young, I believe, if I have my, my numbers correct. And obviously the Yankees won it all. So parting from the team and just doing their own thing worked out for them. Now, you mentioned how once uh, he came to the Yankees in 95, that's when you uh, really developed a relationship with Cone. Even though you were on the national beat by this point, did the, the budding friendship, for lack of a better word, that you had developed with him, did that make his incredibly hard 2000 season all the more hard to watch? I felt for David because I knew how much of a competitor he was and how much perfectionist he was. And even more so, Josh, we talk about this in the book, about how he always was a guy who could pull a rabbit out of the hat. He would drop down and throw a sidearm slider, or he would take a little bit off a curveball. He would just figure out a way to get out of a mess. And in that season, there was no rabbit out of the hat. And you could see how it, it bothered him, how it drained the life out of him. And when I talked to you about him being a spokesman and always being there in a clubhouse, David receded that season, and it's not that he didn't want to talk to us about himself. I think he felt he wasn't equipped to be a spokesman anymore because he wasn't helping the team win. So very difficult to see any athlete go through that, but a guy that you admire and a guy that you respect, having to see that, that, that was tough. And, again, David detailed that pretty well, or we detailed that pretty well. That, was, that season was horrible for him to have to go through i remember it being very hard for me as a fan too because even though i was a teenager i david Cohn became my favorite guy on the staff and i remember watching with my father rest in peace uh whenever he pitched at, at two straight counts my dad would always go watch the at-bats over nine times out of ten the guy either popped up or struck out it and just to see the complete 180 was it was very shocking to say the least yeah, I interviewed a couple of hitters, elite hitters, Ryan Sanders, Paul Molitor. And they talked about facing Cone and just you couldn't you couldn't outguess him. Ryan Sandberg said to me, he had a slider, but he had three different sliders because he would change arm angles, he would take something off of it. He said you couldn't you couldn't figure him out. So best thing for me was to try and get something early in the count because as you just noted and your dad noted, if you got the two strikes against Cohn, he was going to win that battle. Unless he made a mistake and, and didn't do exactly what he wanted to do, he was going to figure out a way to bury you. All right. I just have a, a few more questions left, so I'll try to marathon through these. In the afterword of the book, you mentioned how after writing it, you now had, um, and I really appreciate this terminology, a doctorate in pitching. 
What do you and David want people to take away from this book? That's a great question. And do you know what, Josh, in all the interviews we've done, and the hardcover came out in May of last year, I'm not sure anyone asked me that specific question. I want them to take away that pitching is an art, just like any other craft and just like any other art that you try and excel at, and that David Cohn, both statistically and mentally, put more into that craft and had more passion about that craft than anyone I've ever covered in 30 years of baseball. I think he thought about pitching on and off the mound more than anyone I've ever encountered. And I've interviewed Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. I interviewed them for the book. And I know those guys thought about pitching 24-7. But mm -hmm. I've interviewed Cone a lot more. And I really believe that his world just revolved around pitching. And he was going to figure out a way to get you out. He was going to outwit you. He was going to outguess you. And post-career, Josh, so he's not throwing a baseball anymore, I think that David still thinks about pitching throughout the day. That's a different life now. You're, you're retired. You're, you have different things to do. But I, I firmly believe that his life's passion is all about pitching. Uh, that bleeds right into the next item in my notes because I'm reading just like the incredibly detailed ways of just how to throw a two-seamer, how to, how to take advantage of a scuff. He sounds like a coach or even a, a personal trainer. Oh, I think David Cohn would make a terrific pitching coach. I've been asked this before. I think, first of all, he would walk onto the field and players would respect him immediately because of his career, because he talks their language, because he knows how hard the game is. And, Josh, he also, he also speaks the sabermetrics language. He knows what high-speed cameras can do. He knows what spin access and different arm angles and all that can do. He interviewed for the Yankee pitching coach job. He didn't end up getting it. I was told that he interviewed very well. But I think David, if he ever wanted to do it, would be a fantastic pitching coach. Uh, I'm inclined to agree just because the moment Larry Rothschild was let go last offseason, a friend of mine texted me, all caps, get me David Cohn. Um, all right, last question, Jack, because I know 3.30 um, is approaching. I don't want to tie up your phone line. The 2020 season is unlike anything that we're ever going to see in baseball history. COVID-19 is ravaging the nation, ravaging the world. What are your thoughts as baseball comes back next week and enters completely unfamiliar territory? Josh, none of us are blind to what is going on in the world. We all wake up every day and we realize that we are living in a different world. It's a sadder world. It's a world that has changed dramatically and that we hope we sort of get out of this nightmare. That, that preface, to me, almost goes without saying. I think baseball in its own way, and it's a different version of baseball, a far different version of baseball than we have ever seen, can provide some solace to people and some happiness to people. I can speak from personal experience just from working at the S Studios for the last couple of weeks where we've been broadcasting workouts and intra-squad games. Just the excitement people have shared with me on social media 
about how excited they are just to see an inter-squad at bat between Jay Happ and Aaron Judge. We missed baseball. Coming back and saying you like baseball and that this is something you're looking forward to doesn't mean that you're ignoring the coronavirus. I think it means within the midst of this horrible time, we reach for things that bring us joy, and this different version of baseball is something that can bring people some joy. That's that's a very smart and that's a very smart way of putting it. I definitely appreciate that response. I guess just one more follow-up question to that. Aside, because I we've all seen on YouTube and on TV all the uh, the yes we're here interviews. Uh, how have you and your wife been occupying yourselves throughout the shutdown? I, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, it's just the two of us. I've been married 28 years. I have three nephews. We don't have any kids, but. My wife's parents live five miles away. Her sister lives two miles away. And my brother lives about 12 miles away. So everybody's close. So that helps, even though in these times you weren't seeing anyone. It was a lot of hanging out in our backyard. It was a lot of watching shows on Netflix. It was a lot of FaceTime or Zoom with friends. And I think, Josh, just trying to find the positives out of every day, most of all being safe and being smart, we didn't leave the house much at all. And my wife really is instrumental in caring for her parents, so she was very dedicated and loyal to not being around anyone and not exposing herself. So I think it was just trying to be there for friends and relatives and hoping for some light at the end of the tunnel. I can definitely appreciate that because literally as New York shut down, my wife and I found out we were pregnant. So oh, that's, wow. been quite, oh, my. that's been quite an experience. Wow. Yeah. Was she, so she's about four months? No, she's, um, hold on, let's see. It's showing now. She is about five and a half months, I want to say. We're due out five and a half. Congratulations. That's fantastic news. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jack. All right.